I think we can get away from the idea that it's our membership dues and then we can just have a little bit of icing on the cake with personal training. I think the personal training and small group training done correctly can in fact be just a massive percentage of our overall revenue. You're listening to The Fitness Industry Podcast, powered by Australian Fitness Network. For articles, resources, and inspiration to grow your fitness business and career, go to fitnessnetwork.com.au, where you can also find a huge range of online and face-to-face courses, accredited for CECs and other continuing education points, with up to a massive 40% discount for members of Australian Fitness Network. In this episode, revered PT studio leader Luke Carlson talks personal training-centric club culture, constant team learning, customer intimacy, and why great PTs shouldn't be promoted to PT managers, with Network's Oliver Kitchenman. Luke, welcome to the Fitness Industry Podcast. It's an absolute pleasure to be here, Ollie. Thanks for having me. Luke, you make the point that personal and group training is the largest non-dues revenue driver in the health club industry. So how can club owners ensure that they're making the most of the PT offering at their facility? Yeah, so I think it starts with a commitment to a personal training and group training culture. So does the owner, the leadership, or the management team, are they willing to invest long-term, and when I say invest, I don't just mean a financial investment. I mean an investment in terms of marketing and branding and, and understanding that this is truly going to be part of the the strategy of the club going forward. Do we want to be known for our personal training? And you could probably go even a little bit deeper on that and say, what kind of personal training, target market, training offerings, etc., do we want to be known for? So it's not just a matter of, okay, what is our revenue month in and month out, quarter in and quarter out from PT or small group training, but it's Are we committed to this as a part of our strategy long-term? Do we want to have a culture of personal training in the clubs that decide and are very intentional that we want to be a club that has a culture of training? We often call them training-centric clubs. Then they're able to... They're able to really, really grow personal training revenue such that it's a massive part of the overall revenue of the club. I think we can get away from the idea that it's our membership dues and then we can just have a little bit of icing on the cake with personal training. I think the personal training and small group training done correctly can in fact be just a massive percentage of our overall revenue. So it's uh, not only having the structure in place, it needs the real strong leadership there. In fact, I know one of the quotes that you've, you say is, uh, or you like to quote is, the world is run by those who show up. So the key is having personal training managers or club operators that are showing up by and leading by true example. Yeah, absolutely. If, if there's not buy-in from the top, uh, one of my favorite concepts is, as goes the leadership team, so goes the company. So if the leadership, whoever that leadership, however you want to define the leadership of the club, if they're not bought into personal training, you'll have a very tough time developing a culture of personal training and therefore you'll have a tough time driving revenue. So it's not a matter of hiring a great PT manager and saying, run it. It's got to come from the top and infiltrate the entire culture. 
Okay. Talking about small group training and PT, obviously the market's changed quite a lot in recent years with the growth of small group training. Has has small group killed the market for one-on-one PTs or has it created a new market? Yeah, I would go with the latter. I think it's created a new market, but I also think it's it, it, it brings awareness to even one-on-one training or traditionally what we would call personal training. The idea that people get better results, our members get better results when they're supervised or they're coached. I mean, and I could talk about this for, for three hours, but the preponderance of scientific literature tells us conclusively that we get better fitness results when we're supervised. So whether that's one-on-one, semi-private, small group, or even traditional group X, we know that getting our members into supervised exercise formats not only increases retention, we've always known that, but absolutely produces better results. And I think what we're going to find is, is the successful club is able to match those offerings to the brand of that club. So maybe it is semi-private. Maybe it's traditional small group. So one instructor working with 10 to 20 participants at, at one at one time where I would consider semi-private one trainer working with two to four clients at a given time. So the right offering is all about the brand that the club is trying to establish. So it's not that one-on-one is dead and group is the way to go and you can only do group. It's no what fits the brand, what fits the strategy of the overall club. Because I've seen clubs where one-on-one is absolutely booming. So I think sometimes we get caught up in what some of the industry pundits are saying and say you have to move completely to small group. No, you have to build a brand and a strategy around that brand, and it can be incredibly successful with one-on-one or small group. I think that the main mistake a club can make is to say, this is where the industry is going, and therefore we have to go in that direction and adopt the same formula that other clubs are using. There is no formula. It is what's the strategy and back that up to the brand that that your club wants to take on. And that could be heavy one-on-one. It can be a shift toward semi-private or a shift toward truly group or small group training. And can small group be used? um, What can be leveraged to actually upsell, as it were, to to one-on-one? Yeah, I think what what you're going to find, and maybe I was going there and got sidetracked in my my thoughts and my excitement, is that it's going to be a mix. So instead of just selling the consumer small group training or group training, in a month, are they doing two one-on-ones, two small group sessions, and two group sessions? So we're increasing the overall spend of that particular client. Remember, there's only so many levers we can pull. One of the levers is new clients. We're always focused on that. One of them is client retention. By the way, all of these options increase client retention. But one of the most important and often overlooked is increasing the spend from each personal training client. And having a layering of those three different options, I think, is the way to go. And it is the it is the supervised training model of the future. Okay. So looking at the, the staffing of clubs, do, should great PTs become PT managers? Because this is something that you often see in clubs, PTs that have performed well and they've been there a long time, that they get to a stage where the natural career path seems to be to become a PT manager. Is that something that you, you think works? Yeah, that, that worries me. So that's what we would call the Peter Principle, the idea that you get promoted to the level of incompetency. So you're a really good personal trainer. You eventually get promoted to personal training manager. And if you struggle there, that's where you're going to stay. So you spend the rest of your career, you know, however many years that is, 
in a role that you're really not well suited for. Or, or let's say you are an excellent personal trainer. You get promoted to personal training manager. You're an exceptional personal training manager. So you get promoted to maybe like an operations level or operations director or general manager. But then you struggle at that level. So we, we tend to promote the level of incompetency. I have an incredible passion for keeping personal trainers in the seat, in the role of personal trainer. If they truly are excelling in that role, let's not sell them the idea that the only way they can grow and advance in their career is to become a personal training manager. That's the wrong approach. I don't know any dentist. I don't know any physician. I don't know chiropractors or physical therapists that think, hey, for me to progress in my field – I need to somehow manage other dentists or other physicians, et cetera. And I think that analogy works. For some reason with personal trainers, we think we need to do that. What I think we need to do is keep that personal training trainer learning, growing, and find ways to maximize the revenue that they can produce so they can increase their, their earning potential. The great attorney doesn't need and shouldn't and generally doesn't aspire to manage other attorneys. Instead, they're focused on growing their own book of, of clients and, and their revenue new generation and their own personal income. That's what I think the focus of the great personal trainer should be. So it's increasing the professionalism and the career path for personal trainers as personal trainers without having to actually be seen to be moving into management. Ali, I could not have said it any better. And clearly, I didn't say it any better. So you said it perfectly. I could not agree with that statement anymore. So do clubs and studios need to have a more structured career path for their PTs, i.e. a certain amount of education achievements, client contact hours and everything, to, uh, and they can then sort of progress through being a level one trainer, level two trainer, level three, or kind of up to platinum trainer level. So there's some actual prestige attached to the length of their career and the education and everything that they're wor- the work they're putting into their career. Yeah, Ali, I agree completely. And here, here's, I think, the premise we no one wants to stay in the same position their entire life. I mean, we are designed as human beings. It's baked into our DNA that we want to grow. We want to go on a journey. We want to progress. And I think it's the responsibility of the club, uh, of the business to say, hey, here's our structure. Here's the journey that we're going to take you on internally. This is where you're going to start. And as you learn and as you have more experience and as you move through this process, this is what you can achieve in terms of income, growth, learning, etc. So I think one of the things that keeps uh, our passion just blazing in our industry is constant learning. So a part of that journey needs to be learning. Part of that journey is is more opportunities and ability to make more money. But I think that's the fun for the organization, for the leaders of the organizations. How do we craft this this journey that the personal trainer can move through because no one wants to take a job and say, well, I'm basically going to do the same thing for the rest of my life. And I don't know how I can get a sense of accomplishment, a sense of growth and a sense of, of striving for excellence and becoming a master of the craft. So I would say the onus is on the club and the leadership of the club to develop that. And if you can develop that, that's a tremendous competitive differentiator and competitive advantage in in the market. And I think from my experience, most clubs are too busy putting out fires and dealing with the day-to-day management of the club to take a step back and really architect that plan. So it sounds like education really should be like a core tenet of of all management. Um, I mean, you talk a lot about core values and core purpose. Um, in fact, you say if 
in relation to core values, if they can't be defined, then they don't exist, basically. So how can how can managers define the values of their club? Well, well, first of all, I think yeah, the leadership has to define what the core values are. But if I approach a personal trainer, a front desk staff in a given club, and I say, hey, what are the core values here? If they don't know or if they have to go look them up, then what I, I feel, I feel strongly about this, that the club, by definition, doesn't actually have core values. If the people that work in the club day in and day out don't know what the core values are, by definition, the values are not alive in the in the club. It's not enough to have them in an employee handbook or for the owner of the club or a few leaders in the club to know what they are. I mean, we all need to know what they are. Everyone in that club should know what they are. So I think the most powerful way to mechanize those core values, to make sure that we all know what they are, is not forcing people to memorize them, but instead it's to bring them up every 90 days in our review process. And I'm using the term review. I don't love the concept of a review. I love the concept of a quarterly conversation where every manager meets with every direct report. And during that conversation, just once every 90 days, once a quarter, the first thing that's discussed is how is your performance aligned or potentially not aligned with our core values. How are you living the core values? And when you have that direct report, Ali, talk about, hey, this is the core value of learning. This is what I've done to live that core value. The individual performer talks through it. And then the manager says, this is what I've seen you do in terms of learning. This is what I've seen you do in terms of this core value. I tell you what, you don't have to memorize them when you are just having that conversation every 90 days. They just become ingrained in every single uh, individual employee. And by the way, I want to be clear. Those core values are already in our employees, which is why we hired and we want to hire people that have the same set of core values as the organization. Now we're just unearthing them and they're playing to those core values and living those core values on a day in and day out basis. So PTs and PT managers should only be delivering services that they would want to use themselves. You know, that that's the only way that I personally could ever lead. I understand that a manager and that a leader sometimes has to create something or sometimes will create something that they're potentially not interested in. Mm. Ali, I would just say that I struggle to be able to build something and sell something and market something and create systems around something that I'm personally not interested in because I think to, to, re, to, to attain a customer intimacy, a frontline obsession, Steve Jobs had a frontline obsession and a customer intimacy, as did Howard Schultz with Starbucks, they were absolute consumers of what they sold. They were passionate about what they sold themselves. And so I think they were able to empathize with the customer and understand what the customer actually wanted. And I think our personal training departments will grow and scale when we look at these products and services as if we're going to use them ourselves. Look, you talk about the four core processes that to drive um, PT departments. What would those four processes be? So there's a lot of talk about systems. We need to have systems. And I think that's totally true. I think for personal training departments to really thrive, there's four systems, and I like to call them core processes, that need to be articulated, really need to be defined. So the first one is sales. How are we doing the selling process and personal training? It needs to be documented somewhere between two and ten pages every step of that process. So the first one is sales. The second one is workout delivery or workout execution. How do we actually do 
workouts in this club from a personal training standpoint. And I think the foundation of that is a methodological, consistent approach to training. So we can train with any trainer in this club and the product is the same. It's interesting that you go into so many clubs and you buy personal training and every trainer has their own way of doing things. And so therefore we're purchasing all different experiences. When I go into a Starbucks, for example, and I order a skim mocha, that's going to be the same skim mocha whether I buy it in China or whether I buy it in Australia or, or somewhere in the U.S. And so we should strive for consistency in what we're actually selling from a training standpoint. So that's the second core process is a core process around workout execution. The third one is kind of what we alluded to before, some type of development or growth plan for the personal trainer, the journey that they're going to go on. And the last one is a retention core process. What are we doing both proactively and reactively around our client retention? So we need to articulate all of the steps, all of the the checkpoints in those uh, those processes, get them down on paper, and then we make sure that we're training around those and, and really holding people accountable to those processes. When we have breakdowns in our organizations or we're not scaling, we're not growing, it's generally because we're skipping steps in the process. That is if we have a process in the first place, but we have to follow the process. So the terminology we, we've adopted is FBA followed by all. So it's it's one thing to have the process in place. It's two to really focus on managing and holding people accountable to that process. It's interesting that you're talking about retention. They're always going to ask how can PTs work on client retention before it gets to the point of basically trying to persuade a wavering client not to leave them. Yeah. Well, firstly is the first aspect is education. We need to constantly be educating our client around two things. Number one, around the value of what we're providing. So for us, our focus from a personal training standpoint is strength training. So we are constantly educating our clients around the importance of strength training. We have a number of different mechanisms where a new client is going to get touched by this education, whether it's seminars, whether it's handouts, whether it's emails, whether it's fit tips, whether it's just a checklist of things that we want to cover during the first 20 workouts with a client. We're going to be constantly dripping education around strength training to our client because we know that if they get it, if they conceptually understand what they're doing, we're going to retain them longer. The second thing we need to do in order to retain a client proactively is continually talk about our differentiation. So as a personal training department, how are we different than other fitness options out there? How is personal training different than just training on your own or training in other areas of the club. And so if we talk about that differentiation and tell stories and market around that differentiation to our current clients, I think that's valuable. And then lastly, I would say is let's just make sure we're giving our best training options, events, attention, etc. to our current clients, not our potential clients or our former clients. So whether that's celebrating milestones with those clients, we do something where every year we take out our top spending personal training clients to a dinner. And so we, instead of investing in, hey, you've left us as a client, what can we do to get you back? We say, hey, you are currently with us as a client. We want to continue to treat you right. The idea of we're dancing with the one who brought you. And so we want most of our investment to go into that client, even more so than marketing to new clients and marketing to our alumni clients. We want to spend money on 
believe it or not, marketing to our current client because that is that is marketing. It's a, a retention effort, but it's also a, a marketing spend. That's really interesting. So you would notice that the the average membership lifespan then must uh, with those clients is significantly greater. Yeah, to me, Ollie, I'm almost shocked when I listen to the presentations and we hear that the average the average duration for a membership for the average health club member is around 12 months and what happens at the 16 or 18th month mark we just can't fathom you know a personal training client only being around for 12 months or for 18 months we want to we want to go on a journey a client for life journey and as long as we're nurturing what the first 30 days looks like what the first quarter looks like what the first year looks like we should be able to keep that client for two years, five years, 10 years, and we should be able to keep the bulk of our clients for that length of time. It shouldn't be, yeah, we've had two clients that stay with us over the long haul. Absolutely not. We should have that approach with every client that we work with. And that is realistic. That is not utopian. That's that's realistic. And that's what we should be doing uh, week in and week out and month and quarter in and quarter out in our clubs. So you have, I think, three clubs and numerous trainers as part of the group. So this is something that's that the lifespan or the membership span is is you're you're achieving those goals. Absolutely, yeah. We have, of course, a clients for life core process that we follow. One of the things that's not a part of that process that's had a massive impact is when we retain our trainers longer. We're able to retain our clients longer. So sometimes we're trying to fix a problem and we're not actually looking at what the root problem is. So we say, well, what else can we add to our retention process to keep people coming in? We don't even think that, oh, it's the turnover and the trainers that's really the issue. And so sometimes if you put work in a different area, you see the return in the area that you really were concerned with. And the reason I think a lot of leaders shy away from this approach is it's a long-term approach. People say, well, I want to know what to do to retain my clients like this month, and I don't have time to deal with the longer-term approach of how do I keep, how do I retain my staff. But let me tell you, from our experience, if you retain staff, you will absolutely retain clients as well. Great advice. Do you think that PT managers sometimes place sort of self-imposed limitations on their departments in that they might accept that what they're doing, you know, the department has a small profit margin, but hey, at least it's profitable. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Those are brilliant words. Self-imposed limitations. You could say that the self-imposed limitations that our, our own leadership and our own managers that we put on ourselves, that is, that's the primary reason that we don't grow and we don't achieve what we could achieve. And there's so many categories of these self imposed limitations. And you said one of them is, hey, this is where we are in terms of a revenue standpoint or a profitability standpoint. I was working with a, a friend and, and uh, someone that's attended a workshop that I put on in the New York area. And he's a brilliant guy. I've been operating for a long time. And he stopped me in the middle of my session. He said, well, you can only charge so much for a training session. And he said, you can only generate so much revenue per month. And I said, where did that limitation come from? Where did that ceiling come from? And the answer, of course, is it's self-imposed. And then I shared with him the examples of similar training departments. 
and in this case a studio, that were able to do four, five, ten times the amount of revenue that he had set. And so these numbers that we come up with, we just fabricated them. I mean, the ceiling is much, much higher than any of us have, have chosen to, I think, realize around the revenue and the profitability that we can generate month in and month out or quarter in and quarter out. And I, it, this doesn't just apply to revenue generation. There's so many self-imposed limitations where we are absolutely working inside of the box, the proverbial box when it comes to how we run our personal training departments. And I think that if we just challenge our thinking a little bit in a few of these key areas, that's where the breakthroughs come from. Book, fantastic advice. Thank you so much. If listeners want to find out any more about you and your work and your clubs, where can they find that? Yeah, so I would encourage them to go to, to two sites, discoverstrength.com. Discover Strength is the name of our, our facilities. And so I'd love for them to visit our, our website and they can contact us and reach out if they have any questions about what we do. The other great resource for PTs is what we call the Resistance Exercise Conference. So it's a conference we host. It's, it's a smaller event in the U.S., but we have an online subscription where we trickle out this information every month in a number of different mediums where PTs and PT department heads are getting two things. They're getting exercise information, but they're also exposed to all of our leadership and management information just in, in one month chunks, a month at a time. So I encourage people to look at Resistance Exercise Conference Conference.com as well. Luke, thank you again for talking to the Fitness Industry Podcast. It's been an honor. Thank you so much, Ollie. For a range of online courses to grow your skills and fitness business, including A Tactical Approach for Driving PT Revenue by Luke Carlson, head to the network website. And remember, network members make big savings on this and all other courses offered by network. Go to fitnessnetwork.com.au slash CECs today to grow your business skills and fitness career.